Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 2,319. Today I'm talking to one of the most prolific artists in the field of automotive art, so be prepared to be inspired. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah! Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah! Today, I'm in Henderson, Nevada, with a very special and creative guest by the name of Kenny Youngblood. His friends call him Blood. Kenny, welcome to Cars Yeah! Do you have any gear, and are you ready to release the clutch? Oh, Mark, it's great to be your guest, and uh, let's roll. All right, we're going to have some fun. We'll get the paintbrushes ready. Now, before I introduce you properly and we talk about your career and what you've done, what's one little thing that maybe people don't know about Kenny Youngblood? Well, I would say there's a couple of things. I'm, of course, most uh, well-known for my, my artistic endeavors over the years. However, my personal achievement that I'm most proudest of in motorsports is actually being a crew chief on a uh, Formula One tunnel boat racing team back in the 80s. And we went from rookies in about 86 to winning the national championship in 1990. This was professional uh, boat racing circuit. And uh, that was uh, was a, a, my proudest achievement. But other than that, we've uh, we've just been blessed to do a lot of things. The other uh, little-known fact may be that I've I've had a counseling ministry for 46 years where I help people with a relationship, marriage, parenting, and other issues. It's a Christian-based uh, ministry. Oh, wow. Oh, very, very cool. Well, I love it. Sounds wonderful. As a kid, I grew up down in the San Diego area, and we would go to the Mission Bay uh, hydroplane races every year. Yeah. It was a big deal to go down there, and we had friends with boats so we could sit out in the bay and watch those things go by. Just utter amazement. And of course, up here in the Pacific Northwest, they have those races up in Seattle. Yeah, that is gnarly stuff. As if racing cars isn't gnarly and scary, boat racers, that's another league in and of itself. Yeah, it's, it's scarier because you can't drown on asphalt, but you sure can out there in the, on that water. So that was, I think, one of the things that made that uh, kind of racing uh, the most exciting thing I've ever done is is the danger involved. It's just inherent, but uh, it was uh, really rewarding. Well, very cool. And we'll talk a little bit later about your uh, ministry and helping people through counseling, which I think is really, really awesome and important. But first, let me give you an introduction here, Blood, as your friends call you. Kenny Youngblood is the most prolific automotive artist in the field and its most significant pioneer. He started drawing slingshot fuel dragsters in 1960 on the kitchen table. And if you're into motorsports, no doubt you know his artwork. In his early 20s, he built and drove fuel dragsters of his own. He talked about his time spent uh, with boat racing, of course. His clients were the who's who of racing, and his talents were put on many of the great funny cars of the 70s, including the Snake and Mongoose, the Blue Max, Black Magic, and dozens more. God, I built models of those things. Who thought I'd be talking to the guy that created the visuals for them? <laughs> 
Kenny Youngblood, uh, or I should say Kenny's Blood Did It signature, graced every form of racing, including Reno Air Racers and Danny Sullivan's Miller Beer-sponsored Spin and Win Andy Car. How cool is that? He created the graphic design for ZZ Top's Eliminator album cover, Car, and Dale Earnhardt's Wrangler Monte Carlo race car, including the backslash number three. Now, that's cool. Kenny also paints race car portraits, which are sought after by collectors around the world. We'll be back in just a moment. But first, a word from our sponsors. They keep the petrol in the tank here, or the paint in the tubes, I guess I should say. Uh, We'll be right back, so buckle up. Years ago, when it was time to renew my collector car insurance policy, my carrier's rates went up way up. But my usage was the same and I never made a claim. I didn't even have a ticket. So what's with that? So I turned to American Collectors Insurance. Has your collector car insurance recently raised your rates for no good reason? Tired of paying an annual membership fee? Then it's time to look around and call American Collectors Insurance. I shopped around. I asked friends for recommendations and found a winner that I can trust. And boy, I'm glad I did. I saved hundreds of dollars every year and slept better at night knowing my baby was properly insured. American Collectors Insurance have been protecting vehicles since 1976. They provided me with an agreed value insurance policy backed by their history of taking great care of their clients. What could be better than that? So give them a call and ask for a quote today. 866-ACI-YEAH. That's 866-224-9324. And protect the ones you love like I did with American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. For several years now, you've heard me talk about Linkage Magazine. I've been a subscriber since the start. Their talented and creative team brings you a spectacular publication and website that shares the automotive passion from a worldwide perspective. Linkage is about driving, restoring, collecting, and firsthand experience at collector car auctions and more. They bring you real-world values plus rational, experienced opinions on the current markets. They cover the automotive world and the people who share our passions. And Linkage Magazine has grown, mailing you six issues annually. Join me on this journey with Linkage. They're geared for the automotive life. You can subscribe at LinkageMag.com. So, Kenny, I want to dive back in time first to walk our listeners through how you got here. Now, I know that back in 1960, you were drawing slingshot dragsters. I used to do the same thing in the 60s. But your mom gave you a little motivation and said, you know what? You're going to make money doing this someday. Let's go back in time. I mean, how did this artwork evolve into an actual career? Because it is hard to be a successful artist. Yeah, it is. I was blessed to be born into a family of artists, Mark. My mom, my dad, my uncle were all very talented painters. Uh, However, they did uh, traditional subjects. They painted landscapes and portraits and still lifes and things. Whereas I was always interested in in mechanical things. So as a kid, I'm drawing cars and boats and planes and trains. And uh, as a teen, I was introduced to drag racing through classmates. Dad took us out to the San Gabriel Drag Strip in 1958, I think. And boy, that just blew me away. And and, uh, I fell in love with drag racing. And Ended up building a couple of my own cars out of high school and and racing those. At the time, I I still liked drawing cars. And the only place you could get paid to do that was in Detroit, designing uh, cars. And so I thought, well, that's where I'll, I'll end up going. And so I was actually 
taking some art classes at Pasadena City College and preparing to go to Art Center School in Los Angeles, which was the premier uh, automotive art design um, school. But along the way, I'm drag racing. I ended up lettering my own cars and painting uh, a car for a friend of mine uh, named Gary Messenger out of Pasadena that ran a little dragster like I did. And uh, the fellow that, that painted his car saw the lettering that I did on it and called me up and asked me if I would go to work for him as a sign artist. And so I didn't really uh, plan it, but um, there I was doing lettering on cars. This was what I call during the great funny car boom of the 70s when oh, the yeah. funny cars first made the scene and there was literally hundreds of them around the country and they needed nice looking graphics. And uh, I was more of an artist than a sign painter. And so I enjoyed coming up with uh, graphic designs for the cars. And so um, that's how it really started and, and certainly took off big time from there during the 70s. We were busy both. I had two jobs for a while, Mark. I would, would go down to the studio and design graphics, drawings, and, and do a lot of sponsor proposals. This was BC before computers. Everything oh, sure. was hand-drawn. So yeah. we would uh, do up a lot of sponsor proposals and uh, paint schemes, and I'd send them to clients uh, all over the country. And then head down in the afternoon to the paint shop and, and work on airbrushing and hand lettering on, on the funny cars and was was doing that, I realized I had to uh, make a decision there. And as much as I, I still enjoy uh, the hand painting and the smell of uh, Bondo in the morning, <laughs> I, I knew that the uh, the studio was a, a better use of my abilities. And so uh, some other sign artists kind of took over for me and, and we uh, spent more time at the studio and, and on the easel. Much of your art, when I look at it at first, I think I'm looking at a photograph, and then I stop and go, no, wait a minute, that's a painting. Has the realistic version of your art, and I know you do a lot of different things, has that always been your forte, what you always strive to do? Yeah, and sometimes that's a, that's a curse. I mean, I, I really enjoy looking at uh, paintings that are uh, looser, that are more... Um, you know, stylized and like the work of Tom Fritz and more painterly artwork. But it just seems like for me, just the, the longer I do it, the tighter I get, the more realistic uh, stuff. And I've kind of uh, perfected the art over the years. People, the most common question I'm asked is how long did it take you to do that? And number one, I don't really know because I rarely work on a piece from start to finish. I'll work on it here and there. And and I've I I perfected cheating, if you want to put it that way. The pieces are all hand painted, but I use every trick in the book uh, to get there. I'm not a purist in that sense. Uh, I tell folks you can use a hand saw or a, a skill saw to build a house, and the house is going to come out the same. But one of them's going to take a lot longer and be a lot more work. And so I use uh, every trick I can to get there, and which uh, brings me to my. Uh, one of the most influential people in my life, which I've never really, never really thought about before, kind of took it for granted. But my mother was not only a very talented artist herself, but she had a tremendous love for art and would um, 
was the best teacher I could ever have had. And she just knew all kinds of tricks for doing things. And I don't know where she learned them all, but uh, to this day, every time I pick up a pen or a pencil, I'm using the, uh, the things that she taught me. Oh, how wonderful. That's a fantastic segue into that question I always ask people. Tom Fritch, you mentioned, he's been a guest on the show here. I love his artwork. In fact, uh, I send thank you notes out to all my guests who've been on the show, and I use the stamps that the USPS uh, picked up of his his pony cars, muscle cars, uh, that are yeah. that they're doing right now, and the ones before. I bought a whole bunch of them, which is fun. People always enjoy seeing those. Yeah, you know, it's Scott Jacobs, who's an automotive painter he also does a lot of still lifes and things and when he was on the show he talked about how he became successful in terms of money and he said well i started painting things that people wanted and that was things that were more realistic because a lot of people are challenged with modern art let's say um art that is conceptual or even art that doesn't look like what you and i might call a traditional picture. Did you find that true in the art that you're doing? People wanted to see more realistic things of drag racers and cars and people? Yeah, that's true. And and on top of that, a lot of my especially drag racing uh, paintings, I strive to um, to do the painting where the, uh, the viewer is looking at the car from an angle that would be difficult, if not impossible, for a photographer to take. And then I use artistic license and uh, will often um, do night shots because you get the flames up. And then I use the flames as the only source of light in the painting. That increases the the dramatic effect of the painting and the fact that it's at some weird angle or in your face where a photographer couldn't really uh, get the photo. For example, I don't think I sent you uh, images, but... um, Paintings like Art Christmas Hustler, I did a painting of that where you're kind of looking over his shoulder as he's taken off from the starting line, which would really be uh, pretty impossible for a photographer to get. I actually shot some reference photos in the NHRA Museum uh, of the car. I'm standing up on a ladder looking looking down on it from the back, and all I needed was just kind of the basic shape of the car. The lighting, of course, in the museum was terrible, and but then I, I take and create the uh, all the background and, again, made the fire the only uh, source of light in the painting. So, yeah. I love it. I know that you're a member of the International Drag Racing Hall of Fame. You were Hot Rod Magazine's 100 Most Influential People. Wow. Uh, Daryl Starbird Designer Hall of Fame, Route 66 Rendezvous Hall of Fame, New England Drag Racing Hall of Fame. I mean, you are so well-known and you're so well-connected. How did the connections with all these incredible, talented racers, and even in the case of uh, ZZ Tops, the album cover, we all know that. Uh, of course, how did you get to know all these people? Was it just a growing trend of the cars you painted and people go, oh, he can do it for you? Right yeah. place, right well, time? Not, no, not exactly. That's a great question because it brings me to the the second most influential person in my life was uh, a gentleman named Bob Cashler. And if you're into motorsports, uh, you probably have never heard the name of him uh, because he's was a very reclusive kind of guy. And yet he was uh, very influential in my life in that uh, I met him in probably 1970 or so. 
was introduced to him by the gentleman that uh, Don Kirby did on the paint shop where I worked. And he says, you got to meet my friend, Bob. He says, he's like you, he's an artist, but, but he does other things. He gets people's sponsors. Well, the word marketing hadn't been invented yet, uh, Mark. And so he was just a guy that got people's sponsors. And I met with Bob. He uh, told me that he wanted to put together a creative group to service motorsports under one roof, and uh, which was a, a great concept. And uh, he wanted to put together uh, a one-stop shop where a racer could go for a proposal drawing or rendering, a sponsorship proposal, uh, photographs, uh, whatever was necessary in the creative end of, of racing. And so uh, we rented a building down in Long Beach, California, and he invited me to be the in-house artist, so to speak. And the cool thing was I was just getting started, Mark, and I knew all of the racers because I was a fan from a kid, but they certainly didn't know me. However, Bob knew them. He had worked with Inky Thompson and Danny Gaius and Parnelli Jones and, and lots of tons of the racers, Snake and Mongoose, and he knew them all, and so he began introducing me to them. And racing is a small world, as you know, and the word gets out real quick. And so pretty soon the word gets around that you can do these things. And so, But I thank Bob uh, for that, and he was uh, really a mentor to me. And um, he's still kicking. I talked to him yesterday. He's in an assisted living home, but uh, still actively, actively pursuing sponsors. And it's interesting because we called the business uh, Racing Graphis, G-R-A-P-H-I-S, because the word graphics in German is graphis. And so mm. we wanted to uh, tie that in. I love it. You know, I like to always talk a bit about challenges. And obviously, most careers have some challenges in them. But the most important part of those challenges is they teach valuable lessons. Maybe not so fun to go through the situation, but in the hindsight, could be very uh, helpful. Is there something like that that you went through in your business? Uh, I have to think on that. There might be something more uh, specific. Uh, usually the biggest challenge was just finding enough hours in the day to get done what we needed to. <laughs> yeah. What we needed to do. I can't complain there. Yeah, no kidding. But, uh, well, especially when it comes to artwork. And, you know, that leads me to another question. There's a lot of young people these days that would love to get into the field of art. Uh, what would be your best advice for someone that wants to go into that field as a career? Well, that's a great question. And I tell young people, whether it's art or whatever their their interests are, I tell them to follow their passion. Just follow your passion. Do what you really love doing. Like me sitting at the kitchen table drawing dragsters in 1960 and my mom saying someday we'll get paid for that and me thinking she's crazy. Who would ever do that? But just a short few years later, that's exactly what happened. And so it's, that's the most important thing. I also tell young people interested in art that um, to pursue that. And there will always be, I believe, a place, I hope, for actual hand-painted uh, artwork, fine art. Um, and if that's what you want to do, you keep doing it. And there will always be a market for that. However, um, in the field of art, uh, commercially, 99.99% of everything out there is all uh, digital now. And so um, I do encourage uh, artists to, if they want to make money, to learn Photoshop and learn how to do artwork digitally. 
even if they're not that talented as an artist, if they have a good eye for art, and a lot of people have a good eye for art, they just can't do it. And that computer becomes their paintbrush where they can create. And, uh, and, and so the, uh, those that have an eye for art, they create beautiful uh, digital stuff. And some of the, the highest paying uh, jobs there are, and they work for Pixar or Disney or, or large corporations doing digital art, certainly pays very well. The, the downside to that, one of my challenges would be that uh, there's a lot of people that um, have the money to buy a computer and to learn how to do Photoshop that don't have an eye for art or really uh, the talent that they think they do. And um, I can't afford the digital artists because I need to have artwork digitized from time to time. And um, I can't afford the guy that works for Disney. I get the guy that thinks he's an artist but uh, can't quite uh, pull it off on the computer. And so I have to babysit him through the process and, and it can be quite time-consuming to get the results that I want. So I, I encourage mainly just young people to follow your passion, no matter what it is. A, a good example would be, I'm sure you might remember little John Butera built a chassis back in the 70s, premier a race car builder. And his grandson, Max Caps, he uh, liked to ride skateboards. Well, how many billions of kids ride skateboards, right? Yeah. But he followed his he followed his passion, and he started doing a downhill events, and he's become a you know a professional downhill racer, and he traveled to different countries and different events, and and uh, may even get involved in the Olympics. So, no matter how mundane you think what you do is. Uh, follow that passion because there's some way that you can uh, turn that into a profitable way to make a living. If a kid's interested in sports, likes playing football, how many millions of kids like playing football? Uh, maybe you're not good enough to uh, to get on the professional team, but you can uh, go in the sporting goods business or uh, coaching or, or some aspect of that where you're still following your passion absolutely yeah david smith who was a guest here on the show his son spencer uh loves skateboarding became a champion world champion uh, spencer smith uh racing downhill skateboard racing <laughs> gnarly to watch oh my gosh i'm not sure i could uh, yeah. stomach that as a parent and my daughter-in-law is a very professional very successful uh illustrator animator uh, for major co corporations has her own side business as well and has done very very well uh, in the field of artwork. She's always working, always uh, honing her craft and practice, practice, practice. So yeah, there's lots of opportunities out there. I'd love to learn a little bit about your your passion for cars, because obviously you've loved cars since you were a kid uh, sitting at that kitchen yeah. table. Uh, is there one special vehicle that you've had in your life that stands out that you could share a story about? Well, certainly got some stories about my experience drag racing. Mark, if you've got a few minutes. <laughs> well, maybe you could pick one, sure. No, uh, it's a long story, but I had uh, a couple of fuel dragsters and out of high school, uh, another influential person, actual family in my life was the Kaiser family. And they, I grew up with their son, my age in school and, and John Kaiser and his dad, George was a motorhead, used to race the lakes and stuff. And he would take us to the races and, uh, uh, was, uh, I, I loved cars, but I, I didn't know anything about them. And he, He'd buy us old junk cars to work on and things. But um, 
he um, he bought us an old 32 Ford coupe that already had a Chrysler engine in it. And um, we kind of finished it up and, and raced that. And then I moved on to uh, to racing, uh, building some fuel dragsters. And um, I don't know, I'll, I'll just make a real long story short. My first dragster was pretty crude because I didn't really know that much about the mechanics. And so I'd buy used parts at Blair Speed Shop and I got some good parts and some not so good parts and it had a chrysler engine on it was fuel injected on on nitro and um it um eventually caught up with me when i i had a partner uh, on the car who was the tuner and he was pretty good and he got the thing running pretty fast uh, close to 180 miles an hour this back in the day Whoa. we were still smoking the tires and yeah but one day uh the parts that i put in there that weren't the best it fell apart at the rods and pistons i had the wrong rods and pistons in it and the car wasn't constructed uh it didn't have a motor plate it just had a piece of tin behind the engine and, and back then believe it or not fire boots were were optional this was in 65 or so 64 oh my goodness boots were optional so i thought well, i'll save some money and and didn't uh, have boots on and so then the engine blew up and it knocked a piece of tin out from behind the motor and the fire came right up in the car it was a slingshot dragster i had on the boots and i was burned uh various parts of my body but my ankles uh took the brunt of a third degree burn so that fire going right up my pan legs yeah oh my gosh how as painful as that was it saved my life martin because just as i was healing up and getting out of bandages. It was 1967. And I got drafted, and uh, it was the height of the uh, Vietnam War. And oh, I went of Vietnam. They wouldn't take me because of the scars on my ankles. They, oh, my uh, gosh. Just, uh, wow. I be able to wear the boots. Yeah. And so I know that, uh, that, that God didn't want me to go to Vietnam, and, and uh, those things had to be in place. If I would have had the right rods and pistons, if I would have had a motor plate, if I would have had boots on, I probably would have gone to Vietnam and, and possibly never come home. Oh, my goodness. But, uh, wow. What a story. Well, uh, you know, the other thing that didn't happen was what happened to our mutual Karja alumni here, uh, Don Garlis. He didn't lose part of a foot. Uh, of course, what he went through when his dragster blew up on him. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a scary sport. My dad used to take me up to Orange County Raceway in uh, Southern California when Orange County was just orange fields and not full of buildings and houses like it is today and watch the dragsters run up there. I actually saw him run there and actually saw yeah. Eagle Knievel jump over school buses there one time after a drag yeah. race, which was kind of cool. So here's a bit of an existential question. I'm a bit of a car psychologist. I'm going to crawl into your head here. If you were manifest as a vehicle, not what you want to be though. This is how you perceive yourself as some sort of vehicle. What would you be and why? My knee jerk reaction was, Oh, I want to be a slingshot dragster because that's what I what I love driving. But then, as your question stated, it's not necessarily about about what what you want. And I thought, you know what? In that case, I believe I'd be a bus or a, a school bus. A school bus. Uh, now, why is where that? Where I could take where I could take the the most amount of people to their desired destination. Ah, nice. Nice. Well, that's a wonderful segue into my next question, and that's how you help others give back. And you mentioned at the intro here that your counseling services and you help people through that way. Tell us about that. What started that? Why you do that? And and how you do help people? Yeah. Well, it's uh, it's a story that amazes me, Mark. I began uh, 
having supernatural uh, things happen to me when I was just a little boy, when I was six years old uh, in school, I was, I had a vision in my mind one day and uh, of who my family members uh, really were spiritually and, and then would have other supernatural things happen to me growing up and until I was 30 years old, culminating in a, a really spectacular uh, miracle in my life. And I didn't know from where these things were coming or from who, but uh, because I'm pretty, I'm a slow learner. I'd gone to church when I was 13 and accepted the Lord, but I had never put two and two together until I was 30 years old. And, and the Lord finally actually had to identify himself to me, which he did. And everything came together. And um, all the things that I've been shown, he then called me to a, a counseling ministry to share with others. And uh, there are things that uh, you won't hear talked about uh, anyplace else. I teach my foundational class is called God's Secret Formula for Pain-Free Relationships, which is an actual formula that, that's uh, hidden within the scriptures and that we can apply uh, in relationships. And it's the same formula that God uses in dealing with us. And uh, so I teach that as well as marriage specific. And uh, I, I teach what I believe is the best parenting class on earth, God's three keys to easy parenting and uh, anger elimination, substance abuse, all kind of things. And that's really my, uh, my, my passion and where I want to go here. I, that's the only thing on my bucket list is to get that out to a worldwide audience uh, via the internet. I've met with uh, thousands of individuals and couples over the years, but I want to make it available and where it's, where it's out there and can be out there uh, after I'm gone. Well, the timing is perfect for that, Kenny, because these days there's things like podcasts and YouTube and all these different channels and ways to get your message out to a massive amount of people that you could never touch. Uh, it's a time like we've never had before on this planet, so uh, your timing is very good for being able to, yeah. to do that for people. I, that's absolutely tremendous. I think most, if not everybody, could benefit from counseling, especially when it comes to parenting, which most people have no clue when those first babies arrive. Nowadays, of course, there's a lot more information, but is that information good? Is it bad? Is it real? Is it made up? Who knows? Um, but I'll tell you, when I got married, uh, I asked my grandfather, and my grandparents were married for 72 years. And I said, hey, Grandpa, I said, what's the secret to having a happy life? And he said, or a happy marriage. And he, he said, oh, that's easy. Just do everything she tells you to do. And my, my grandmother jabbed him in the ribs and said, don't lie to the boy, Bill. <laughs> and then he got very serious, and he, he was a joker. He was a farmer from Texas, a, a true cowboy, rode a horse every day. But then he got serious, and he said something to me I've tried to always remember. And, and maybe this touches on a little tiny piece of the very complex nature of what you teach people, and that is this. He said, Mark, practice every day to always give more to your spouse than you expect back from her. And if you do that... And if she does that, you'll both have a really good life. And I've been married 39 years now. It seems to have worked pretty well. Uh, I'm sure that's just one little bit and piece, but I've always remembered that little bit of advice my grandfather gave me. That was that was good advice. He was a wise man. Yes. Yeah, he was a good man. Very hardworking man, sure. Uh, now, reading. I love books. We love to share books here on Cars. Yeah. Is there a great book that you could share that you've really enjoyed that you think people could glean some great information from or just... A fun book. Yeah, you know, I, I'm I'm not really haven't ever been a, a big reader. I've read the Bible until 
the pages, especially the New Testament, are literally falling out of it. <laughs> I recommend that. But uh, other than that, I'm just, uh, I'm not a big reader, so I'm going to have to uh, fall short on that one. Well, I think the Bible is a pretty good reference there, so we'll put that on your show notes page. Many, many people have recommended that uh, that great book. Let's go on the ultimate drive. I'm a bit of an enabler, but I'm a great enabler. I'm going to provide you with any vehicle in the world, park it in your driveway, and you can take it on a drive. But here's the fun part. You can take anyone with you, even somebody who's no longer with us, somebody from the past. So what does the ultimate drive look like for you, starting with the vehicle? Well, the vehicle would have to be the one that I let get away, which uh, was when I was was a young man. In my 20s, I bought a 57 Pontiac Safari wagon, which is, uh, you know, like the Nomad, but the the Pontiac. And the 57 Pontiacs were really uh, beautiful, those Nomads. And I I made it into a mild custom. It was really a beautiful car. And and, uh, so that would be my ride. I, you know, foolishly sold it back then. You just don't think that, hey, you know, that car that I paid a few hundred bucks for is worth, uh, you know, $80,000 now, you know, but, um, so that'd be the car and gosh, who I would take with me. Oh man, that's, that's a tough one. I, I certainly enjoy traveling with my wife. I've been blessed with a wonderful lady that, uh, like I said, uh, enjoys motorsports as much or more than me. And we love traveling together. So I guess I just, Keep taking my wife. That's the prudent answer for somebody who wants to remain married for a long time. Uh, it's a great answer. And I understand your wife worked uh, with Carol Shelby towards the end of his, his days, right? Yes, she did. She did. She went on. It's kind of a unique story. We moved up here to Vegas and um, some good stores. Vicki Prock, who was Tom Prock's wife. Tom drove uh, custom body enterprises, funny cars. It was Jimmy Prock. It's a John Ford, uh, Robert Hyde's car. And uh, Carrie's good friends with Vicky. And then also Lynn Rose was coming up here helping Vicky at Shelby's. Uh, Lynn was uh, Carrie's boss at one time at Orange County Raceway. Lynn was the assistant manager to Bill Donner, and, and Terry worked out there. And so they were out at Carol's, and they called Terry one day and told her that they wanted her to run the restaurant for them. They actually had a small restaurant over by the Speedway for a while, Carol Shelby Cafe, and it was being mismanaged. And so Terry uh, came, went to work for him, running the the, uh, the restaurant. And ironically, she got it up and making money, doing well. Uh, but Carol, uh, who had been in the restaurant business three different times, said, "I don't want to be in the restaurant business again. Close that dang restaurant." <laughs> and yeah. so, and so they they did. And um, Vicky knew that Terry at the time uh, needed a job, and so she. Uh, she suggested that they hire Terry at the corporate level, which they did. And uh, my wife's uh, really a very intelligent lady, and so she was able to help him out. She uh, was actually director of operations for a while and then was head of HR at, at Carol's. And so she got to know Carol was that was in his latter years there. She's a very likable gal, and he, he, he really loved Terry, and she would take good care of him when he would come up. Uh, from uh, Los Angeles to the, the Las Vegas facility, and uh, I got to meet uh, Carol a, a few times, and uh, 
so that was a great experience for for all of us. He was just an amazing man. Most definitely. You know, back to that Pontiac Safari. Those things were so cool because of that Nomad style two door body, but the beautiful wings on the back, the and the way that back tailgate slanted forward and the wraparound glass. You don't see those cars hardly at all anymore. I, you know, you you see the Chevy Nomads people talk about, but I think the to me the Pontiac was a much cooler looking car. Yeah, I, I thought so too. And yeah, they're very rare. Ironically, uh, there's an old uh, timer get together up here on Sunday mornings breakfast, and one of the the car guys there has a '57 okay. uh, Safari that, that I drool over when I see it. But, uh, <laughs> well, yeah, they were gorgeous. The, the, the one I had, uh, I was uh, I painted black, and and uh, it had a we would spray the top with what would be like a bed liner okay. and uh, to make it look like a vinyl top. Sure, sure, we called sure. them tennis <laughs> shoe tops back then. I love so it. It had this black uh, faux vinyl top and uh, black, and then uh, I lowered the, lowered the car, and it had chrome reverse wheels with white wall tires on it and, and, and baby moons, and boy, it was really a slick ride. Oh, and uh, it's it's silly. The, the, um, the reason I sold it was that heavy car and it had uh, the chrome reverse wheels uh, front and rear and and the steering box didn't like swinging those big those wide front wheels and one day it uh it started uh having some slop and make a noise in the steering and so i had my wife uh i jacked it up and and started up and had her get in the car and turn the steering and and it had snapped the bolts off the uh the steering box oh, completely. Okay. Yeah. And I thought, oh my, well, I was working and I had connections in aerospace back then. And I got some 12 point high tensile aircraft bolts and um, bolted it back to the car. Well, <laughs> nice. a few months later, started doing the same thing, Mark. And I'm thinking there's no way that it could have broken those high tensile bolts. And so I jacked the car up again, had the wife get in it, got under there and it had cracked the frame rail in half. Oh my gosh. And wow. Yeah, and so I sandwiched it back together, but I thought, oh, I'm gonna, I better sell this car, and I did, but boy, I wish I'd have kept it. <laughs> yeah, they're beautiful. Well, you've taken us on a fun ride today, Kenny, and I can't thank you enough for, for being a guest on the show and sharing what amazing life you've created for yourself. Before I let you go, could you share maybe some words of inspiration, a mantra, or a success quote for those listening out there? Well, I'd like to do two things. Can I uh, tell listeners where they can uh, get a hold of us? Absolutely. Yeah. The artwork, if you just go to KennyYoungblood.com, got some artwork there and my contact and everything, information and bio and stuff. And then the uh, the counseling ministry is alwaysandanswer.org. So it's always A-N-A-N-S-W-E-R.org. And um, my uh, advice, well, it would have to be the same as Don Garlitz. And if if you've never seen it, uh, my friend Dean Papadeus years ago, main event video, uh, did a, uh, a film on Don Garlitz called Close Calls and uh, centering in on his you know, devastating wreck where he lost part of his foot and things. And, and after that, Don, well, you need to watch the show. If you go to Tubi uh, and you can go to main event and you can open uh, Close Calls, it's free. At the end of the show, Dean asked Don that same question and he looks the camera in the eye and he says, well, I just recommend that you make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. Put him number one. And that would be my, 
Well, you seem uh, best advice I could give. There you go. I'll put all of these on Kenny's show notes page so you can find everything. I encourage you to check out his website. Uh, check out his artwork. You'll probably recognize many, many things going, I've seen that before. Uh, but check it out. And of course, his counseling, always an answer. We can all use a little bit of counseling to improve our lives and those around us. Kenny, thank you for being so generous today with your time and sharing your life with our listeners. Until you and I talk again, my friend, I'll see you down the road. Thank you, Mark. It's been uh, it's just so much fun. I so enjoyed it. Hope it was enjoyable to your listeners. And uh, hey, I'll see you again. Absolutely. This was great. Today's vehicles are essentially computers on wheels, and it takes more than a wrench and oil to keep them humming. That's why Cars Yeah! supports TechForce Foundation, a nonprofit dedicated to driving tomorrow's workforce of skilled technicians forward. Techs keep our cars, trucks, airplanes, and fleets rolling. Yet there's a massive tech shortage because many young people don't know it's no longer a blue-collar job. Today, it's a new-collar career. It involves computers, technology. It's in high demand. You get paid really well. And you can live and work anywhere in the country. I know you're passionate about cars, trucks, and motorcycles. And you can help pass that passion on to the next generation of techs so our rides keep rolling down the road. Visit techforce.org today and learn how. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah. Yeah.